0: Hello and welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. In this episode, we speak to Matt B, head coach of Burnley Women, who play in the third tier of women's soccer in England. Uh, Matt began coaching in his teens, honed his craft in Australia, before returning to England to take the UEFA B licence course. At the age of just 22, he became the head coach of Burnley Women, taking charge of a team which included some players more than 10 years his senior. But he made a success of it, leading them to two promotions, and at the time of recording, was preparing for a women's FA Cup tie with Liverpool. I caught up with Matt to find out how he learned to command the respect of older members of his squad. But I started by asking where it all began for him.
1: My coaching journey started really in 2011. um, And that was just sort of going on what was at the time then called the Junior Football Organisers course at the FA RAM. And it came about really because I'd always played football. Um, I sort of dipped in and out of playing when I got to sort of 15, 16, because I did a lot of running as well, a lot of athletics, but I'd always played right through. And I was one of them that I knew I was never good enough to make it as a player. Um, I never, you know, when you're younger, you always want to, don't you? But I knew I was never, never going to. And I wanted to stay in the game. And it was a a chat really with, um, at the college that I was at, At the time, and there was a guy there called Matt Evans who who headed up um, a lot of the coaching um, of not just the school and college teams, but also um, a lot of the outreach coaching programs that the college ran. So he was the first sort of mentor I had, really, um, and he really um, encouraged me to go on my coaching courses, which I did. Um, And yes, doing some some sessions with different school teams, started heading up some of the football development programs that the college ran. and yeah, just, just progressed through really and just just really got into it from, from a young age. Like I say, I was 17, 18. And I know sometimes people wait a little bit longer, wait until the end of their playing or, or even start to do a few badges towards the end of their playing uh, days. But for me, no, I was um, straight in at 17, 18 and really wanted to continue progressing to be a coach. I didn't know at that time whether it would be first team football, which it's turned out to be, or whether it would be more academy whether it would be younger age groups but I certainly always had the the mindset that that I really wanted to to go into coaching and that's where it, it, it sort of spiraled from there really it was through that that I got the opportunity to go to Australia and then make a first link with Burnley and and that's where where for me it really started so yeah I was I was 17 18 wanting to stay in the game enjoyed coaching um and yeah sort of thought how can I you know put myself in the best position to, to pursue a career in it.
0: So tell us then about that uh, that sort of sojourn to Australia uh, where you kind of really fed in love with coaching, I think, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it, for me, it was one where um, I was at that crossroads of whether do I go to university, do I not? And again, it was a chat with Matt um, around what's the best options for me? And he, he asked me a very black and white question of, Well, what, what do you want to do? Which I know sounds very obvious, but sometimes when you're like 18 and you're thinking about university, there's often a lot of pressure to go to university and do do courses and stuff but for me my answer was simple I wanted to work in football and I wanted to be a football coach so he was very you know probably the best best piece of advice from him really because he sort of said around um, going getting experience and continuing to progress through the FA and the UA for badges so it was I initially did um, an intern role at that college and um, from the September of of 20 september 2012 and it was in the march 2013 that actually someone that used to be connected um with the the school and the college who who worked there as a pe teacher had moved out to australia um and he was back visiting um and gave me the opportunity we had some some different chats The, the company that he was working for the coaching company were looking for coaches um And that's where it came from. You know, he gave me the opportunity to, to go out there. So I went out there in March, 2013. I was 18 years old. My mum was devastated that I was leaving home and going to the other side of the world, as you can imagine. But that was where it, my coaching really started. I was doing three, four sessions a day. Um, and people often ask me oh, about the lifestyle. It wasn't actually about the lifestyle for me, of was, you know, you think about all oh, the beach and surfing and all that, that for me, it was literally the football. I went out there genuinely for the football to learn, to grow as a coach, to see a different culture. Um, because the Australian culture was completely different from what I'd been used to over here, because it was at the time over here where they were going through the FA youth review and it was all around non-competitive football and non-results based football at a lot of age groups. Australia was was completely different where winning mattered winning mattered to them from a young age and I think you can see that with certainly when like the Olympics and their swimmers and different stuff they've got a competitive edge tennis players that have been successful but football for them probably was a little bit under the radar because it wasn't one of the main sports but I certainly picked up a lot from the Australian culture of producing people that wanted to win and having that internal desire to win and being really part of a team, you know, it was where I first started to look at what made an effective team. Albeit I was working with some younger age groups, but some older ones as well. And the, the physicality, you know, they're huge on that. Around outrunning teams, outworking teams, and that—they're little things that have stuck with me right through my my journey. Into, I mean, philosophy is a word that I'm sure you guys hear a lot. It gets thrown around a lot by coaches, but that they're still part of if you want to call it a philosophy they're still big things that are part of my philosophy now from that from what I took from Australia as well as obviously the the ability to be coaching three times a day which for me at 18 I'd done my level two badge and um, looking at at some point wanting to go onto my b license and at that time it was let's just get hours on the grass there's that sort of theory isn't there to be an elite performer is that ten thousand hour rule and I think for me, that was where I got well on the way to to racking up the miles on the clock and the miles on the grass because I was just coaching nonstop, and I loved every minute of it. Both from the the, the idea of um, picking up bits around the Aussie mentality, but also being able to coach football day in day out.
0: And were you so? Were you sort of embedded with a specific club, or were you working within a city, or where where what where, where were you?
1: Yeah, so I was at Perth on the West Coast um, and it was actually for a company called HPC Football. But at the time that I went out there, and this is where it's it's strange now when you think that I've been at Burnley for for six, well, for five years, six seasons, but I'm originally from Lincolnshire, so I'd got no link with, with the North and with Burnley at all. Um, but that was where the link actually started because it was also Burnley's academy out in Australasia and um, so it was HPC Football that was the company that, that did it but there was a guy called Paul Wozniak who was Burnley's sort of head of overseas um, and he's still based at the club now um, as part of overseas development so it wasn't um, I didn't you know, I hadn't have much of a link with with Burnley at all. Um, it was obviously the opportunity, and yeah, it was working for HPC football. Um, and again, for the first season I was there, it was linked to Burnley Burnley Football Club. Um, but it was also um, the sort of the club that we were mainly based out of. There was a club called Balcata, so they were playing in what was the MPL out in uh, out in Oz. Um, so. Basically, in their pyramid, one below the A League. Um, obviously, Perth Glory being the A League team that were that were in our region. So, yeah, and, and like I say, I was doing stuff across um, the academy there. So, Balcatas Junior set up the, the Burnley Academy uh, set up as well, um, as well as um, some of the, the grammar school teams out there. Their um, their school network is is quite big. So, um, yeah, working with some of their teams as well. So, yeah loads of opportunities, loads of different opportunities to coach different teams, some that were development, some that were based around could we get lads to progress through, ready to potentially come over for trials in the UK. Um, Some that it was about setting teams up to win. Um, And and it gave me that real variety, I guess, which, which as I say for me at that time, and I think now it's not a criticism of the coaching courses, but I think now coaches, and I see this a lot, young coaches are expected to have a philosophy straight away I actually think it worked better for me that I didn't have a set way of, oh, that's how I'd want a map B team to play. So I actually was able to spend two years just coaching, just coaching the game, learning the game off different people, some some brilliant coaches that, that were out there. Um, and then obviously off the back of that, then I could start to piece together and think, right, that's maybe how I'd like my team to play. But I think for me, I benefited from the fact of, just going out there and learning the game, studying the game, being around. Like I said, I was delivering probably three, four sessions a day, but I was observing if I was doing the under, you know, the the 12s, the 13s, and they finished at seven, I'd then be there with my iPad writing down session plans from the the 15s and the 16s. And it was just two years where I was just immersed in football, literally just immersed in football. Um, So, yeah, it was was amazing.
0: Yeah, and I guess obviously most people who, um, you know, go into coaching – learn the game if want a better phrase and learn about coaching um through playing under uh, different coaches over the course of their playing career but when you start that young you've kind of the practical kind of side of it is is about the way of the only way of immersing yourself into it isn't it
1: yeah yeah and I think it's interesting because I've still like I I did I did used to play I would never I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I was amazing I wasn't um but you pick up bits from from coaches or or managers that that you've played under um you know, like I say, there's there's people. Um, the, the school college I was at, there's a guy called Andy Wilkinson that was our manager of the first team, um, and picked up loads from him from like a leadership aspect. The way he could get a team in the mindset of being ready for a game, um, I thought he was brilliant at. So, so picked up loads from from Matt. Obviously, Matt uh, Evans who used to do sessions with the with this, the teams as well. Picked up a lot from him of how to structure a good session. But then, as I say, for me, from going into coaching very early, it was then about me being around coaches, doing a lot of my own studying of the game. Because I knew that being able to structure a good session is brilliant, but not just good players, but any players, you've still got to have the knowledge to embed it within that. And I think there's a very big difference between facilitating a session and coaching a session. Anyone now can go and go on YouTube, go on Google, pick up session plans, look at stuff. There's so many resources out there, which are absolutely brilliant. But actually the best coaches are the ones that go in there and improve players with the detail of, of what they give them as well. So I knew that actually for me, knowledge was key. Knowledge gets you respect from players and and actually doing a lot of time learning of how to structure good sessions, but actually really honing in on. And I had to spend hours and hours and hours in my own time reading as many resources as possible conversations with different people that had played at a good level um, and then you know studying as many games that were on TV as possible um, and that was actually a task I set myself because it's different over in ours in it's like the same in like the United States and other countries all the three o'clock kickoffs from the UK are on TV over there so I sort of used to set myself little tasks of actually watching different games um, and because near enough every Premier League game would be on so I was able to watch it and, and just study simple things you know like just setting myself a little task of watching how a team presses, for example, across the different games that were on that day. Because I think I developed a lot of good coaching knowledge. What I mean by that is a lot of good ideas of how to structure practices and be quite refined with the coaching methodology of when to make interventions, whether it needs to be a command style, bit of quick information, whether it's a bit more of of a guided discovery approach. That was brilliant, but I knew then I needed the higher up I wanted to go. I've got to make sure that my information is is bang on the money as well. So I, I did a lot of time, sort of um, learning off off those aspects as well. Some of that was was observing people. Some of that was just my own research, then research, sorry, my own uh, studying.
0: And although it's not the thrust of sort of our discussion, um, but would you know you obviously went to Australia? That was the opportunity that you had. Would you recommend that coaches kind of spread their wings as far as possible when looking to? you know, immerse themselves in 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 other cultures? And, you know, does that improve you as a coach or can you get those sort of opportunities in the UK as well?
1: I think for me, I don't personally think I would be coaching at first team level now if I hadn't gone to Australia. Um, and I've probably not really answered your question very well there. But basically for me, and I'm sure there's a lot of young, it's impossible now to get, a role whether that's part-time or full-time now at a good level unless you've got a B or an A license and young coach I was the same at 18 you're not going to have your your, your B or A license so it's either do you wait and just do courses and then apply for a role but actually there's that that thing of a bit like your driving test um you know you, you can learn on your driving test how to drive a car but actually, once you've passed and you're out on the road, that's when it that's when you really learn. And I think for me, I would encourage every young coach or not just young coach in age. But when I say young coach, I mean someone that's starting their coaching journey. They could be 30 and be a young coach, if that makes sense. Um, but anyone that's just started, if they get the opportunity to go abroad. Yeah, because there's more opportunities to access roles, opportunities, full time coaching opportunities. Um And they're more easily accessible. That's not to say they're easier because it poses their own different challenges. Obviously, it's a different culture you've got to learn. And some of them are are much more diverse depending on what country you go to. Um, But I would definitely say, yeah, take the opportunity because then you can just get hours and hours and hours on the grass. You can learn from people, which I, I always knew my aim was to come back to the UK. I knew lads that were out there. That coach, that their intention wasn't to come back to the UK. Where there's some of a uh, couple of the lads that I work with now that are doing really, really well in New Zealand and are really high up in the New Zealand game. Um, some of the lads have obviously stayed in ours and, and are successful in there. For me, it was about um, taking that opportunity, but just to, to ready myself, ready for an opportunity in, in the UK. Um, but yeah, I don't think if it was for the, the opportunity to go out there and learn really what it takes to be a coach day in, day out, I don't think I'd be. I'd be where I am now. So I would definitely encourage anyone that gets the opportunity to, to do that.
0: So you spent a couple of years out in Australia. You mentioned that uh, your intention was to come back to the UK. So so what happened next then for you? What was the next step on returning from Australia?
1: It was around again, and I was looking at opportunities. And obviously the way visas are in, in Australia, it's, you know, you're at that crossroads Do you'd go and look to try and get um, a sponsorship, a long-term visa, or was the two years enough for me? So my next step then was I, I thought I've done a lot of hours. I, I think I'm ready for the B licence now. Um, so what actually triggered me to come back was was um, gaining a place on the B licence, and back then it was it was tough to get on. Um, obviously, they're a lot more accessible now, but, but back when I did it, there was only sort of six or seven courses across the country for the whole year. So I applied, and I was obviously going to wait and see, and I think if I'd not got on that course, I'd have probably then looked at... Um, whether I stay and and then, you know, look at how I can prepare myself ready for the following year. Um, But, you know, luckily I did get on the course and that's then I'd say is the second big turning point in my, my coaching career because it was on that course that I met a guy called Gordon Staniforth um, who was the tutor. So he was the Doncaster Bells manager at the time. They were in women's Super League two uh, at the time then. Um, And he was a technical director at York and it was through meeting him on that course um he became you know probably the biggest influence I've had in my in my coaching um he he was brilliant you know not just on the course but then subsequently um I got a job at York at the RTC um or it was a girl center of excellence at the time and he was just a huge mentor for me for two years um everything around you know early conversations before the training sessions would start picking his brains on on his coaching you know observing sessions that he delivered, him observing me. I got the opportunity to work across the 11s, obviously the youngest age group, preparing those players in, in with the fundamental aspects of the game, but then also working with the 15s and 17s, those players like Jess Park, who's obviously now at Man City, that was that was in those age groups. So he was amazing. Um, and and he's the one that really steered me towards the women's game. Um, it was through that opportunity there that I got um and obviously spent two amazing years at York working with with Gordon and some, some other fantastic coaches as well. You know, one of my, the guy that I did the 11s with in the first year there was a guy called uh, Darren Arnott, who has been really successful uh, in the men's game as well. He was Leeds Under-23s coach. He's now abroad coaching and doing well. So it was another sort of, in very similar to Australia, uh, it was another cycle where I was surrounded by brilliant, brilliant people that that knew the game and, and had got far better knowledge than me. And I could just pick their brains and immerse myself in that environment whilst also being out on the grass. Because it's not enough to just go and watch the sessions from the side. You've got to be, it's probably a bad analogy, but it's a bit like a boxing thing. Isn't it you've got to get in the ring at some point and be in the middle coaching the session. So that for me was, I always had that opportunity as well as well as being surrounded by people that I could, could observe and learn and have a chat with. I was in the middle delivering as well. Um, and delivering with, with good players obviously they were part of the England talent pathway we wanted to progress them into um, into international football so it, it allowed me to see right what does it take to get a, a top quality player from 11s to 13s what does it take to get them from 13s to 15s what does it take them to get them from 15s to 17s? And then obviously obviously senior football so um yeah that that, that was huge and that was where really my um, you know what has shaped my career was was obviously that meeting meeting Gordon and and him uh, you know supporting me within the women's game and and learning my trade within the women's game um at the RTC in York and then burnley where does where does the burnley
0: story begin for you
1: well the burnley link had always been there because of my time in Oz. so i stayed in touch with um with paul wasney who i say was the head of overseas and he actually came back to the uk before me so he was based back there um, and and i think football's one of them things i'm sure you you're the same um you stay in touch with people, you have chats with people, you you know, you have they're not always like regular catch-ups all the time, but but you stay in touch and um it was just conversations. Um and there was a couple of roles that came up at Burnley. Um and then one of them was was the female football development officer role, which part of it was overseeing the whole women's and girls pathway. Um so inclusion-based football going into the schools supporting um the teachers to deliver the best possible football sessions for for the girls overseeing the junior pathway of the Burnley FC girls and ladies as it was called at the time so age groups from like under eights all the way through and then being the manager or, or head coach of uh, of the women's uh, first team so that role came up um, obviously I'd stayed in touch with Paul he knew about my involvement in the women's game at, at York and I was also doing a little bit of support work with the Lincoln University women's team as well um, and yeah that, that opportunity came up I applied and and was successful in getting the role. Um, and that was my first, obviously Australia, I was out there full time. But then I was sort of piecing together part time roles, one of them being York. Um, when, when I returned from Oz. Um, so then Burnley, the opportunity came up, it was full time. And and yeah, I got the break. Um, and that was 2016. Went in there at, at 22, um, which was a big not going to say it was a big risk because I trusted myself as a coach, but certainly the women's first team aspect of it, there was players there that were 30, 35 plus. I'm 22. I remember distinctly people's faces when I first walked in to the, it was (laughs) was actually the, yeah, it was the week before I took over um, or my first sort of chance to get on the grass with the players. And I remember them just looking me up and down thinking this kid, he's not going to last five minutes. And they were probably right to think that because I'm sure they you know there was players in there that had played at a really good level um and probably you know had been playing football longer than I'd been on the planet um, <laughs> so yeah it was about I knew from that moment I thought Matt you're gonna have to have a bit about you on a coaching pitch here otherwise you ain't gonna last long so yeah that was uh that was obviously there October 2016 and I've been there ever since
0: so let's just drill down into the, to the sort of that experience in a sec, but obviously the, the job that you'd gone for was an all encompassing one. I mean, I spoke, um, for our sister title, women's soccer coaching. I spoke to, um, Gemma Donnelly at uh, Blackburn Rovers. So I think, uh, you know, that's where her uh, initial background was as well before she became first team. So you're, you know, you were as much going in there as a youth development coach, um, but obviously with responsible, responsibility for the, for, the, for the senior first team as well. So uh, you obviously knew that was within the job description. Did that side of it concern you before you went for it? Or you seem like someone who's a, sort of a, a, a say yes and ask questions later kind of guy. But, you know, it, was, was any of that playing on your mind before you started?
1: I think, and it's a good question, I think you always have a little bit of doubt. I think anyone that's sort of, particularly the age I was, if I'd been completely, nah, it doesn't bother me at all. I think that would have been, there's a fine line, isn't there, between confidence and arrogance. I think that would have been arrogance if I'd been, yeah, it doesn't bother me at 22. Um, But I also, I knew that I'd got a lot of good grounding. And that's why I say, I think I've been very, very privileged to have, A, had thousands of hours on the grass leading up to that. But also hours on the grass around really good people, and obviously I say Gordon was was working in Super League too, um, and had got that grounding. So I'd I'd off some very good people. Um, So I think it was a mixture. There was a little bit of apprehension because you you never know how a dressing room is going to take you. You can have, and at that time as well, and I'm sure we, we can touch on this, you know, over this conversation as well. But at that time, and I keep referring back to it, I wouldn't say I had a set philosophy. I was going in there. I had to see. I didn't know what type of first team manager I wanted to be in 2016. I just knew that it was part of the role where I wanted to be successful, clearly win games, but everyone wants to do that. The actual how, I think that was something that I developed over time. Um, I went in with some values that still, for me, are key today. Being honest with players, demanding hard work, demanding an energy from from sessions. They're things that are in me as a person from from where I've learned and from how I've Developed as a coach, so so they were things that I expected immediately. Um, but the actual technical, tactical ways that we wanted to set the team up that became that was more fluid, and that evolved over over time. Um, so yeah, I, like I say, there was there was a little bit of of apprehension, um, but also there was a, an inner confidence that I knew that that I could prepare these players effectively as well.
0: And just to add context at this point, when you went in there. Um, you know the team were in the fifth tier of the of, of the women's pyramid in England. They're now in the third tier, which which says two things. It says that you were able to do something with them first and foremost, but secondly, did it perhaps? Um, well, you know, although it's still technically um, technically in the in the sort of the FA pyramid system, it's still technically the gra- grassroots, albeit at the at the top end of the grassroots. But did it? Did that make it easier? Um, for you going in at that that sort of level, it was still competition, but was that did that make it slightly less daunting, or was it just purely the dressing room and 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 the players in it that that made it slightly difficult?
1: you know what I think the tier that the team were in probably that didn 't really make a difference to me. all I saw it as was was first team football and for me that's just the way I am the way I planned and delivered sessions would was no different to if I was and and I actually did some um like drop-in sessions with a men's first team a semi-pro team back when I was in Lincolnshire um before moving up obviously to Burnley and the way I approached those sessions was no different to how I approached the women's team for me it was and I think people have got a respect the fact that there's players at all levels of the women's game that know the game, that are good players. Um, and I certainly was aware of that, that we'd got players that had been at Blackburn back in the day when they were in the top tier. And for me, yeah, the, the pyramid wasn't, or, or the level that they were at in the pyramid, was was not really something that made me think, ah, this will be, this will be easy. I think for me, it was, I set myself extremely high standards of, you know, I, again, respecting the fact that they're football players and you've got to do the best possible work. And I can honestly say, and I'd like to think that players that have, because there's some players that were there in my, when I first walked through the door in, in October 2016 that are still in the dressing room now. And I would like to think that if, if anyone was to speak to them, the attention to detail I try and go into, the way I plan the energy I bring is no different from, from being in tier five to now, obviously, for us in, in tier three. Um, and I think that's where for me, I set myself high standards of, of, of whatever I do. Um, and, and in a coaching aspect, I, I want the standards to be the best possible. So yeah, what the, the the sort of level they were at in the pyramid didn't daunt me. The fact that they have been in that pyramid in that level for 10 years did, because I thought there's something that needs fixing here because they've, they've obviously something's not working. Um, so it was more around, let's get on the grass. Let's try and you see a lot of stuff. I read a really good book actually, um, called the first hundred days. Um, it's around management and leadership. And it says around like quick wins, which are becoming quite a common sort of phrase now in leadership. But I look back and I think the way I tried to get quick wins was by putting on the best possible sessions, the best possible detail. I wouldn't say I started to become a leader of that team until my second season because it was more, let's get some real clarity in how we want to play, how we can be set up effectively for game day from a technical tactical perspective. The leadership aspect of how I wanted to lead the dressing room, that came after those, those footballing foundations had been laid.
0: In essence, then, what you're saying there is it's the difference, isn't it, between being a head coach and being a, a manager, if you like. And, and that, I suppose, when you're applying for that job as a, as, a, as a youth specialist and knowing what you do about developing footballers and everything else that you've been involved in, there would have been bits of that job when you first did it uh, with the senior team that you wouldn't have encountered before, presumably. You'll see man management, you can still do at a youth level, but it's a different kind of man management. What were the elements of, of of managing a first team that you had kind of had to learn on the job?
1: I think, and that's a good point. And like, yeah, I would say to summarise it, I don't think I became the manager, like I say, or a leader until, like I say, until my second season. Um, and it was through learning, through trial and error. Um, I think it's aspects of, if you're in boys' academy football, 18 players are going to be there at every age group because they want a pro contract. If you're in tier five of the women's team, you've got to get... And, and my one was a little bit of a weird situation. We were tier five where the players at the time when I went there, they, were, they had to pay to play. Um, and so it was things like that where I thought I wasn't happy about that, but I'd not got enough uh, credent, kudos, whatever you want to call it, with the club to start banging on the door going, players shouldn't be paying here so I knew we've got to get some wins we've got to get points on the board I've got to show them I'm the right person to take this team forward but there were things that I was aware of that needed to, to change as well but stuff like and again linking back to what I've mentioned that I'm big on on expecting players to train what they do across the week manifests itself in the game I'd heard stories of just from speaking to the players they'd have six at training this before I came and so I was thinking I want 18 there But then equally, I'm saying to players, I expect you to train. But by the way, you're only getting five minutes at the weekend. And it then becomes a thing of how you deliver that message. Now, there's some conversations that I needed to have straight away because there were some players that I thought straight away, they're not going to be right for where we want to take it. Um, And that's nothing against them as people. That's just purely, they're not right for for how I want to do this. And that was more from the culture that I wanted. Um, There was some that were huge characters that I needed to get on side early. Um, So that was probably more of a get to know them. Um, But I would say it was learning how to pitch conversations, how to word things. Um, But I would say the biggest thing I learned in that first season was the timing of conversations. I I think honesty in chats with players is key. I, I set my soul out straight away that, again, things like togetherness, hard work, um, desire to achieve. their things that I said from minute one, these, these are what we need. We have to set. And, and I set him a target. And I remember, again, people probably like, laughed at me a little bit. I said, we've got to set the highest standards for a female football team in the region, which when you've got Blackburn 10 minutes down the road, who are two divisions above at the time, people, I understand now, looked at me a bit like, is, is he all right? But actually, that for me is important. It doesn't matter what your budget is. It doesn't matter what the calibre of players are. It doesn't matter what your training facilities are like. Setting those internal standards of what you bring to a training session, how you interact with each other, what detail we as staff give those players to prepare them. They're things that, irrespective, of, and an example of that being in the first season, we didn't have anyone that was on analysis. It was just me and an assistant coach. So I'd do the analysis by it sounds old school now, but like screenshotting footage of the games and writing Word documents for the players, because we didn't have Huddle, we didn't have the analysis software, but they're things that for me, if I'm expecting players to, to be there, this is why, because this is what I'm doing for you as well. So it was around, I think, that first season, setting a real clear culture of what we wanted, sticking to that. I was very fortunate that I had two, and I mean this, really good characters. I had the captain, who was Joe Hall who was an absolutely amazing person that could, you know, an arm around the shoulder of the players that might need it. She was just so aware of the dressing room um, and she had been in place before. She'd got a lot of respect. So for her to buy into me straight away and for me to build a big link with her, I think helped because naturally she was that go between. And then also the assistant captain um, a player called Justine Wallace, who was the complete opposite of Joe Holt as, as a, as a figure but equally as important because of how, of how she um, did things. She was that big character that the dressing room needed. Um, and I think as soon as I won her over and she was going, do you know what? He does know what he's talking about here. Then things, people started to follow that. And obviously it helped that we got some wins. You know, you look at, um, and this probably links back to when I say timing of conversations with players, timing of things where football is such a, a ruthless industry where things can either go for you or they can't that there was a lot of key tipping points across that that first season. And one of them being, I'd been in the role three weeks. Now, before that same season, obviously I started in the October, but I think it was in the September, the team had got beat 6 or 7 nil by Wigan in the FA Cup in one of the qualifying rounds. My third game of the season was Wigan away. And we went away to Wigan and beat them 2 nil. which then in the space of three, four weeks that gave me some buy-in because you can talk as much as you want on a PowerPoint. You can put on good sessions, but at first team level, you're defined by results. No one's bothered at first team level about how good your training sessions look across the week. They're bothered about whether you win on on a Sunday at two o'clock. So that result, I think was a huge, huge feather in the cap for me to then the players to go, actually, we got beat seven nil off these four weeks ago and, and we've just beat them. So, uh, we we managed to get some results that naturally bought into that, but I think for me it was around setting some clear standards that everyone could stick to, not being too heavy-handed with the when I say the leadership of the group in terms of the um, you know like I can hand on heart say until the end of that probably the the April of that first season I don't think I'd raise my voice in a team talk. Now players will laugh at that because players now that know me who've played under me since then. Will say if he's not happy at times, he'll probably tell you. But I thought I've got to pitch this right, and I've got to just really focus on. Yeah, there's a few non-negotiables around hard work, as I say, togetherness, buying into what we do, um, and having an ambition to want to keep winning. But then it was around let's just go to ta- let's go to work on the on the coaching pitch and, and make them better players and make them a better team
0: did you Do you think you've had to find a presence or did you naturally have one what or did, did it does it depend on which club you go into? you might go into a different team environment and do it differently?
1: I think it comes down to a couple of things i think first of all i was i'd got i think I'd got a presence on a coaching pitch as a coach as a manager I think that's where I've learned and grown and developed and found who I want to be through a myself and b more research so in the same way as I said to you when I was in um when I was in Oz all my studying was around a the game to know that as well as I could in possession out of possession in transition or all those different you know the modern trends how the game's growing all that and then how to structure that in sessions I think then from getting the Burnley job I've focused a lot of time on studying and reading and researching what makes successful cultures in sport and leadership um, in terms of what, what is a successful leader. Um, so I think that for me is I think I had a presence on a coaching pitch by the energy that I bring. The leadership, I think, evolved through experience, through the different challenges that were posed to us um, and just being getting more experienced as, as a manager.
0: And you managed to be successful because you've taken got them a couple of promotions over the last the last few seasons. So, to anybody then who's listening to this or you know reading the article, who you know is a young coach in charge of a a senior team who've got players who are maybe ten years their their senior. Um, Obviously, I know how you've done it, and without so without repeating yourself, if you like, what main sort of tip would you give to to someone in that situation, knowing what you do now, basically, the benefit of hindsight
1: study the game um, and like I said I think knowledge for two reasons it gives you the confidence to step on the pitch and know that you know what you're talking about be players know whether whether you know what you're talking about so I think go in with knowledge and then know what type of coach you want to be because I think there's so much stuff accessible now to watch that maybe sometimes people fall into the trap of trying to deliver a session exactly as they've seen it on the internet, but actually build your knowledge base so that you know what you're coaching and how how you want to coach it and know what type of coach you want to be. My assistant coach uh, at the moment is brilliant in the way she gets real clarity into her sessions, but in a calm manner. So whereas I'm probably 100 miles an hour sort of energy buzzing around a session, She's got an energy that she brings out of it with real, clear, quality information and detail, but is a very different character to me. If I tried to deliver how she delivers, it wouldn't work. Probably if she tried to deliver how I deliver, it wouldn't work. But there's a real good balance there. And I think that's what I would say to yeah to any coach, as you say, that, that's working with more senior players. Um, but also don't be afraid to challenge them. That's what I would say as well. Like, I think probably as well as winning you know, winning the two titles that we've won and the FA Cup runs that we've achieved would obviously be, if you're talking about tangible things, they would be probably my best achievements here. But also what means as much to me is when some of those senior players from that first season that went on that journey of winning those title with us said, I gave them their energy back to want to still win and improve and actually still improve them as a player. That to me says a lot and and means a lot because if I've got a player at 35, 36, 37 saying, I've actually, A, given them their energy back to want to win and and, and that uh, competitive edge to still want to win, but also improved them, I think that that means a lot as well. So when you're coaching those players, don't think that, A, they're not open to learning. You might have to get across to them and build that respect first, but also be prepared to, to work with them because you can still grow and develop them
0: and uh finally we've been talking about coaching journey and every journey has a destination so um yours i guess in your own mind must be must be the super league and 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 maybe border you know beyond our borders i suppose given that you're you know you're prepared to to travel and everything else so what 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 uh, what does the future hold for 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 matt
1: yeah, no, uh, I think for starters, it's to continue to learn. And I don't say that as a cliche. I think, you know, I've been, like I say, lucky to, to have learned off some fantastic people. I want to still do that. I want to still grow. I've probably learned more. I think I've learned more about myself this season, which hasn't been as successful. You know, obviously we're mid-table. I think I've learned more about myself as a coach and as a manager than what I did in the two title winning seasons. Um, so I think I've learned so much in these last however many months it's been since the start of the season. Um, so I want to keep doing that. I want to keep growing. Um, but yeah, my, my personal ambition is is to continue to make every group that I work with successful, both on an individual level and, and a collective level, but also continue to progress. And yeah, I, you know, I've, I make no, I'm not shy to admit that, that I want to coach in the Super League one day. Um, I've not got a timescale on that. I'm not sort of saying I've got to be there tomorrow or or next month, but but I certainly want to coach in the super league. And you know, whether that's as a manager, whether that's as a first team coach, that'll that will depend on on opportunities, but but certainly it's it's a level that I want to continue to work and develop. So hopefully um, you know, be there in the future.
0: And you know, you get you get uh dogs and cats don't you just you know compared to sort of human ages and stuff like that so as a as a coach how you know what are you in in a playing age because obviously you're a very young coach so I suppose your playing age is probably about 16 17 and if you're playing at that level you've got a big future ahead of you you? because you've got 30 years that you could develop yourself in or more
1: yeah yeah and I think and you know as well I think that's something when I chat with coaches as well Yeah, in that analogy, 16, 17 probably as a player, but then I also look at, and it comes back to what we've already discussed around you know, how many hours I've been able to get on the grass in different countries. I think chronological age versus coaching age are are probably two different things. Chronologically, I'm now 27, but I think in a coaching age, I'm probably, I'd like to think at least in my 40s because of the amount of hours I've been able to get On the grass. And that's not me saying for one minute that that I've got all the answers and that I do everything right because I don't. And I've still got a hell of a lot to learn. You know, my my mentor at the FA Kelsey is is amazing uh, in terms of how much support she gives me. And she challenges me every week to think about different things. I never come off a a phone call with her where I've not got something else to think about or something else to challenge or, or, or where I tweak things. So I'm still massively learning, but I think I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of hours in whilst going through the badges. Um, And and I want to keep doing that. You know, I love being out on the grass. I want to keep being out on the grass for as much time as I can. That was the
0: voice of Matt B, head coach of uh, Burnley Women. We thank Matt for his time and his insight and wish him well for the rest of the season. Thanks to you as well for listening, for practice plans, advice interviews, and much more, visit our website, soccercoachweekly.net. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Join us again soon here on the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast.